Good morning and happy Easter. Welcome to First United Methodist Church on this highest holy day of the Christian year. This is the day that gives us the promise of heaven and eternal life, the highest holy day. We welcome you. We invite you to worship in spirit and truth as we celebrate that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead
Shall sound, and the gate shall be raised, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be.
Our call to worship comes from the 98th Psalm and the 8th chapter of Romans. Let us share in this responsively. Oh, sing to God a new song, for God has done marvelous things. Because of God's steadfast love to Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. For now Christ is risen from the dead. Make a joyful noise unto God all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and praises. For nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus our risen Christ. Alleluia! Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia!
us join our voices in the opening prayer. Resurrecting God, we have come to see the stone rolled away. We have come in hope that no matter who we are, no matter where life has taken us, no matter what choices we have made, no matter what sins we have committed, we will find Christ in this place. The empty tomb assures us that nothing we can do is beyond your power to recreate. Be with us as we celebrate the beauty of new life, for we ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I would like to ask for the, the attention of the children for children's time this morning. I'd like to tell you about a time many years ago when my nieces and nephews were very small and I was really excited about getting to spend Easter with them. One of the reasons I was really excited about getting to spend Easter with them was because they were going to tell me the story of the Easter Bunny. So we got together, and they were very excited about the Easter Bunny. And, and I said, well, tell me. Tell me the whole story of the Easter Bunny. And they said, well, the Easter Bunny comes, and the Easter Bunny brings candy. And I said, well, I like the candy part. Then what happens? What happens next? And they said, nothing. The Easter Bunny goes away. And I said, that's the story. The Easter Bunny comes, the Easter Bunny brings candy, the Easter Bunny goes away. That's the story. That doesn't even take five seconds to tell that story. It's not really a very good story. I like the candy part, but the story part is, is lacking. If I told you a, a, a bedtime story and it lasted five seconds, you would say, I would like some more stories, please. I'm not even sleepy yet. So... I told them the story of the first Easter, and I encourage you to listen to this story so that you can tell the story of the first Easter. In fact, I invite you to act it out like a play. I invite you to get your mom and your dad and your grandpa and your grandma and your brothers and your sisters and your friends and give everybody a part. Have somebody play Jesus, have someone play Mary, have two people play the angels, have two people play the disciples, and act out the whole story with all the running and all the looking and all the surprises. Because here is what happens according to John's gospel account on that first Easter. On that first Easter at dawn, Mary comes to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. Remember that Jesus had spent the last three years teaching throughout Galilee, performing miracles, and telling everyone that we are called to love everyone. Well, that was not a message that everybody liked. Some people said, well, we can't love everybody. We only love the people who are lovable. We only love the people who deserve it. And Jesus said, nope, everybody. Love everybody. Love everyone as I have loved you. And people said, well, that's, that's crazy. We can't do that. And Jesus insisted, love one another as I have loved you. That's my new commandment that I give to you. Love one another like 
I have loved you. Well, the people who did not like that message made sure that Jesus went away. They killed him, and they laid his body in a tomb, which was kind of like a cave, and rolled a big stone in front of it. Well, that first Easter morning at dawn, Mary comes to the tomb, and all she is really doing is trying to pay her respects the same way that we do when we visit people whom we have loved and who have died in a cemetery. She's going to pay her respects, and she's going to, to try to figure out or, or think through the things that have happened in the past few days. It's been a really tough time. That's all she's doing. And when she gets, gets to the tomb, she sees that that big stone that had been rolled in front has been rolled away. And so she runs, she runs as fast as she can to tell Simon Peter and another disciple that the stone has been rolled away. And they say, that's impossible, that, no. And she says, no, really, they've rolled the stone away. The stone is, is not in front of the tomb anymore. And so all of them come running back. The, Simon Peter, the other disciple, and Mary, and they see that, in fact, the stone has been rolled away. And then Simon Peter and the other disciple, they run back to wherever they had been. But this time, Mary looks inside the tomb. And guess what she sees? She sees two angels who are sitting where Jesus' body had been. And they said, why are you crying? And she said, well, because, because someone has taken away the body of my Lord. And they said... Do not weep. And then she turns around and she practically bumps into this guy that she thinks is a gardener. But he says her name. He says, Mary. And when she hears his voice, she knows that it is Jesus. And she runs to tell. She, she is so excited. Runs to tell the disciples that he is risen that Jesus is alive. Now, now that we have heard that story, and hopefully when you act this story out, it will just serve as a wonderful reminder to you of what happened on that first Easter. What are you supposed to do with that story? Well, Jesus said, tell that story. Share the good news, because it's good news that changes everything. So that was the job of Mary, that was the job of the disciples, and, and later on in the church year, we're going to talk more about what happens next. What happens next is that there had been 12 disciples, now there are 11, and there are women and other followers, and then comes Paul, and just a small group of people are going to keep sharing the good news and keep sharing the good news and keep sharing the good news. And what will happen is that the church will form. Now, if you drive around Martinsville, you'll see that there are a lot of churches. There are a lot of churches in Martinsville. There are a lot of churches in the United States. There are a lot of churches throughout the whole world. And that happened because that small group of people first started sharing this good news. 
You can be part of this too. You can tell the story, the same story that Mary told. You can share the good news because it does change everything. Wait and see what God does next. Thank you for your attention this morning. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. As we prepare to hear the story of the resurrection, let us pray. O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise to new life in you. For we pray in your holy name. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is found in the 10th chapter of Acts, beginning with the 34th verse. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 20th chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. 
But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. When I was in college, I remember my campus minister talking about what made for a good Christmas sermon and what made for a good Easter sermon. Those are days, he said, when it is wise never to move very far from the story. He's a smart guy. Nonetheless, it's also true that the Easter story is a hard story to stay close to because it's a hard story to tell. The Christmas story is easier to work with because there's this huge cast of characters and a lot of movement. There are journeying wise men and a worried Herod and shepherds who trek into town to see what is going on. There are hosts of angels, a big star in the sky. There's an innkeeper and lots of animals in the stable and Mary and Joseph and sweet baby Jesus. And so we have carols and cantatas. We have Christmas pageants and Christmas trees. We send cards to proclaim the Christmas message to all of our loved ones. It is a story that lends itself to be told and retold with great drama and great joy. The Easter story, on the other hand, is different. The Gospels are far from clear as to just what happened. All four Gospel accounts of this day begin at dawn. So discovery always begins in the luminous darkness and light, in the silvery place between the two, between the unconscious and the conscious, between sleep and waking, things seen and unseen, the visible and the invisible world. The stone had been rolled aside. Matthew alone speaks of an earthquake. Mark describes a young man dressed in a white robe sitting at the right side of the tomb. Luke writes of two men 
in dazzling robes standing beside the tomb. Matthew describes an angel. Mary Magdalene seems to have gotten there before anyone else. There was a man she thought at first was a gardener. Perhaps Mary, the mother of James, was with her and another woman named Joanna. One account says Peter came too with one of the other disciples. Elsewhere, there is the suggestion that there were only the women and that the disciples, who were somewhere else, didn't believe the women's story when they heard it. There was the sound of women, people running, and of voices. Matthew speaks of fear and great joy. So, confusion was everywhere. There's no agreement even as to the role of Jesus himself. Did he appear at the tomb or only later? Well, maybe this is why we modern churchgoers find ourselves at every point on the theological spectrum as we encounter the resurrection narratives in the Gospels. It is a confusing narrative for the Gospel writers to convey and confusing for adults to to decipher, so we can imagine how children get it wrong. One of my colleagues in ministry said that when she was a small girl, after the worship service on Easter morning, the whole family would gather at her grandmother's house and out would come the the Easter ham and then the Easter turkey and the gravy boat with the turkey gravy and all the sides and and. And as a small girl, she thought that Jesus lived in her grandmother's gravy boat and amused himself by swimming around in all that rich brown gravy. And and Easter Sunday, she thought, was the day that Jesus would get up. He would come out of the gravy, he would towel himself off and go about his business. Well, (laughs) we, her seminary classmates, were puzzled by this concept of Jesus, our gravy-swimming Savior, until she explained it to us. One more reminder that the words of hymns are powerful things. As a child, she thought the first line of the hymn, Up from the Grave He Arose, was, Low in the gravy lay Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. I thought that was a funny story, and I told it to my parents, and, and uh, they reminded me that when I was a, a little girl that I got that hymn wrong, too. The next line after, up from the grave he arose, is with a mighty power over his foes. I didn't know what foes were, so I would loudly sing the line, up from the grave he arose with a mighty power in his toes. Well, maybe that is why we accessorize Easter with pastel eggs and and furry bunnies and white gloves and Easter hats. At the grocery store, amidst all of the chocolate chicks and rabbits and confectionery eggs, it's tempting to think that this day is all about sugarcoating the stark truth about real life and death, that it really is all about flowers and bunnies and chocolates. The Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, writes this. 
Even the symbols, symbols of Easter lilies emerging from bulbs that look impossibly dead, and butterflies emerging from seemingly lifeless cocoons don't quite do it. Although miraculous, spring is entirely natural. The earth comes alive again in a predictable cycle of ebb and flow that's been going on for millions of years. Resurrection, she says, on the other hand, is entirely unnatural. When a human being goes into the ground, that is that. You do not stand around waiting for that person to reappear so that you can pick up where you left off. Not on this side of the grave, anyhow. You say goodbye. You make your peace. You pay your respects and go on with your life the best that you can, knowing that the only place springtime happens in a cemetery is on top of the graves, not inside of them. Well, that is what Mary Magdalene is is up to on that first Easter morning. She is paying her respects. She's going on a prayer walk to make sense of, of it all, to let the events of the last few days sink in, that the dizzying array of events had in fact happened. The story begins with things that we all know, with death and fear and loss. The disciples themselves could not imagine a way out of death and despair. They could not see beyond grief and hatred, a way past defeatism and utter hopelessness, a road that would lead them beyond Calvary. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, inconceivably, something transforming happened. The surprise is that the stone is rolled away. And it is rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. No one needed to roll away the stone in order for Jesus to escape it. After all, elsewhere in the Gospels, after the resurrection, Jesus is going to appear to the disciples even though they are fortressed in a room together. Jesus simply appears among them even though the doors and the windows are shut and locked. It's reasonable to assume then that a stone rolled in front of a tomb would have been no obstacle either. In Matthew's gospel, the angel rolls the stone away from the tomb after the women arrive. And when it is moved aside, Jesus doesn't emerge because he is already gone. The angel didn't roll the stone away for Jesus' benefit, but for the women's benefit and by extension for ours. The stone is rolled away to let us into the tomb and into the story to see that it is for us, to see that the end is not the end. And then Mary encounters the gardener who speaks her name so that she recognizes him. And very quickly the story begs retelling and she runs to share the good news. She has encountered the risen Christ in her life. She didn't stop at the cross. She didn't stop at death. She didn't even stop at the empty tomb. She sees for herself that there is more to life than she had believed. 
And that sent her running to tell the others she came alive with hope. I began this sermon by saying that Easter is a hard story to get close to because it's a hard story to tell. The empty tomb gives only a hint of where God has been. But that's okay. It's enough to start with. It's where Mary starts, and in telling the story, she begins kindling the hope in the life of the community. The community becomes the body of Christ, which in all of its resurrection glory proclaims the triumph of life over death, of hope over despair, of love over hate. It is a corporate, social, and political event, an event in which hope and truth and love and justice come to fruition. The resurrected Christ lives in the body of the community. Even now, we experience the risen Christ in the context of a new community that gathers and continues to tell the story of Christ's saving presence in our lives today. When I was in college, I wondered aloud one day about whether people can really change. And looking at what seemed like the intractable impossibility of of changing broken relationships, of addiction, of cycles of, of poverty and violence throughout the world, I wondered aloud, is change really possible? And my campus minister said, if things can't change, if they can't really change, then the gospel doesn't work. He's a smart guy. I think that's the truth of Easter. If things can't change, really change, then the gospel doesn't work. The truth is, things can change. They can change fundamentally. They can change from the outside in and from the inside out. That doesn't mean it will be easy. Let's remember that the initial responses to the resurrection were fear and confusion. In Matthew's gospel, it takes an earthquake to crack open old layers of rock and open the tomb. But the impossible becomes the possible. Easter makes a lie, liar out of endings, even the ending of death, and enables us to say that, to share that again and again as loud as we would like. God is at work everywhere, under every circumstance, and even beyond the grave where none of us can see. Jesus has gone ahead of us even there so that none of us ever goes there alone. However painful things may get in our lives, however scary, there's always a note posted for us somewhere that says, turn the page. The ending is not the end. I know. I've already been here. Do not fear. I will show you the way. Follow me. I heard a story about a young boy who didn't want to come to church on Easter Sunday. His mother asked why that was, and he said, Well, every Easter we hear the same story, and every year, every single year, it ends the same way. But the thing is, it doesn't. The story changes not only every year on Easter Sunday, but every day we tell it. 
When we encounter the risen Christ, especially in Christian community, we are led to tell the story and to give an account of the hope that is in us. That is a different story for each of us. And it leads us to wondering and working because what would the world be like if people of faith flooded the world with an active, faith-filled, joyful imagination? That is what Easter calls us to do, to approach the world with resurrection imagination, to imagine that things that look like they can't change, things that look like endings aren't really endings, but where the lion lies down with the lamb, where the poor are filled with good things, where all debts are forgiven, and the creation groans with ecstatic fullness. The story becomes new every single time we retell it, and we tell it every day. We tell it by how we raise our children. We tell it by how we spend our money. We tell it by how we invest our time. We tell it by how we treat the environment. Every morning becomes Easter morning. This is the day that the world as we know it, the world in which sin and death and betrayal have carried the day, a world where wounds are deep and suffering is real, that world has been overturned by the power, the grace, and the love of God. Emily Dickinson begins one of her poems, I will die, but that is all I will do for death. Easter invites each one of us to think about what our tombs might be. Where are the places in our lives where we have given up? What have become dead issues or dead relationships or or dead ideas? What stifles us? What mires us down? What leaves us dead to the life-giving possibilities that God offers us? And not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those whom we love, as well as in the lives of those we don't even know. We are invited in community to dare to believe that things really can change in the hot spots throughout the world, in the lives of people living with different kinds of illness, in communities where wounds of misunderstanding and racism have been opened or reopened, and on and on. The world hungers for this very fresh, very good news. Easter is not only about the resurrection of Christ long, long ago, but also a call for us to emerge from ways that are tomb-like and move us toward the luminous, renewing power of God in our lives and in the lives of all God's children. This is a day when the weeping of the world, made lonely and lost by the cruelty of death and loss, will be turned into a world made joyful again by life-giving acts of faith. Let us allow our imaginations and our spirits to soar with the good news that the world can be reborn, with the good news of hope and possibility that are the realities Easter Sunday bring to us. 
And then let us act with assurance on this future of our wildest imaginings, the future that Christ this day has made possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.
And now let us join in the prayer of consecration, the prayer of great thanksgiving for Easter Sunday. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right Indeed, that with open hearts, clear minds, and exuberant voices, we should praise you, unseen God, creator of all that is. And your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has ransomed us by his death and risen triumphant from the grave. With your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn.
and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. By your great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Once we were no people, but now we are your people, declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On the day you raised him from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, your church has continued in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us share in the elements of bread and cup. 
Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. And now, let us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
the world with a daring and tender love. The world is waiting. Go in peace. And all that you do, do it for love. Amen. Thank you.